The final chapter of the book of Joel speaks of judgment on the enemies of Israel. God is going to judge the Gentiles who live through the tribulation period in the valley of decision. And Joel will close this chapter with good news for the Jews who are looking for some good news uh, about now. So we conclude our study with the book of Joel with chapter 3 in verse 1 where we read, For behold, whenever it says for behold, it means pay attention to this. This is something happening. This is big. In those days and at that time when I bring the captives of Judah and Jerusalem, I will also gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. And I will enter into judgment with them there. First, I want to stop right there. The valley of Jehoshaphat um, is the valley where God judges or Jehovah judges. That's what Jehoshaphat means. And there is no valley named Jehoshaphat. There isn't one right now. Uh, there will be, um, but right now there isn't. So many commentators believe, oh, this is speaking of Armageddon, the valley of Megiddo, where there's going to be this great battle and there's going to be a slaughter of those who come against the armies of God. Uh, while that sounds like it could be a, a, a possibility, there's a new valley that's going to be opening up when Jesus returns. He's going to touch down on the Mount of Olives. It says that when he touches down on the Mount of Olives, it's going to be split in two. And a new source of water is then going to flow. One part of it is going to flow uh, down to the Mediterranean. The other part is going to flow to the Dead Sea. And the Dead Sea will no longer be dead. Uh, you know, so I know those of you that wanted to float in the Dead Sea and get all that salt on you and everything, it, it's overrated. Um, so uh, I, I can't float anyway. And so I went to the Dead Sea thinking, okay, I'm going to be able to float. And Cheryl was just sitting there laughing at me as I'm sinking in the Dead Sea. You know, people were taking my picture. Boy, doesn't know what he's doing. So... The Valley of Jehoshaphat may be that valley that's formed um, through there. Don't know, uh, but we're not going to be in that valley at that time. These are going to be those that are judged on uh, the earth at that time. So, on account of my people, my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations, they have also divided up my land. And so, here... We're talking about something that happened in the past, okay, and uh, the land was divided, okay, after Solomon, there was Rehoboam and Jeroboam, and Jeroboam took the upper ten kingdoms, and uh, then, uh, and Rehoboam uh, basically had one kingdom. He was the son of Solomon, and so when uh, he took over Judah, 
he really took over one kingdom, that was Judah, that was there. But Benjamin was kind of split between the two. There were Benjamites that were up in, in Israel and, and then down in, in Judah. So, um, so at that point, the kingdom was split. And it was because God wanted it that way because of, uh, you know, the, the sin of, uh, of Solomon as he uh, started to worship um, various um, gods, fake gods, phony gods, because um, uh, he had so many wives that they were telling him what to do. And, you know, I, I, for being the smartest man ever to have lived, uh, you'd think he would have known, you know, one wife was enough. No, he, he managed to have 700 and then 300 concubines. So, um, and he lost his way. They have cast lots for my people, have given a boy as payment for a harlot, and sold a girl for wine that they may drink. And so this was going on back in those days when the Assyrians and the Babylonians and stuff were uh, attacking and coming into the land. Indeed, what have you to do with me, O Tyre and Sidon? Notice the me is capitalized. God is speaking to Tyre and Sidon here, their Phoenician cities, and all of the coasts of Philistia, which are the Philistines. And will you retaliate against me? But if you retaliate against me swiftly and speedily, I will return your retaliation upon your own head because you have taken my silver and my gold and have carried into your temples my prized possessions. And there was, oh, this, this was a constant thing. When one nation went and conquered another nation, they took all of the silver and gold and brought it into their nation and now it became theirs. But if you read what Solomon uh, had uh, accumulated, he had so much gold and so much silver was just like asphalt and gold uh, was everywhere. And, and he had these shields of gold, hundreds and hundreds of these shields of gold uh, that were in the armory and, and even in the temple. There were there was gold everywhere. And so when uh, they were attacked and uh, their gold was taken, it was God's gold that they were taken. The, God wasn't saying, hey, you're taking my people's gold. He said, you're taking mine. This is my stuff that you're taking and carried into your temples my prized possessions. Also, the people of Judah and the people of Jerusalem, you have sold to the Greeks that they may remove them far from their borders. And that was a normal practice that they would take and, and capture uh, whoever they were invading and then they would sell them off to other countries and they would make money that way. They would also get them out of the land and then they would use the land for what they wanted to do, the ones that stayed, became slaves. Uh, 
And behold, I will raise them out of the place to which you have sold them and will return your retaliation upon your own head. Uh, so that is what God has been doing in the past and he's going to be doing again in the future as uh, uh, as the Jews have come back into the land there is an Israel again which there weren't for 1900 years and now Israel exists again uh, there are these nations that are still coming up against them trying to get rid of them and they keep winning battle after battle although they had insurmountable odds against them to win, they win. And it's just God showing himself strong on their behalf. And he's uh, doing uh, a mighty work there. He, but they're not following him. They're still not worshiping him the way that they should be worshiping him. They don't recognize that it's God saving them over and over again. They don't recognize Jesus as the Messiah. And so uh, they are still going through the motions. But uh, Ezekiel chapter 37 talks about this, that they're going to wake up. They're going uh, to find out that what they're doing uh, was wrong and they were misguided. So... I will sell your sons and your daughters into the hand of the people of Judah and they will sell them to the Sabaeans. And Sabaeans were in uh, Arabia. And so they were selling them off. And this actually did take place back then where they were selling um, the, the Jews from Israel uh, through Judah into uh, Arabia. Uh, to a people far off. And, and the Arabia um, would, you, you, the Queen of Sheba, that was the Arabia that uh, we're talking about. She, she was gone by now, but that is uh, the Arabia that he was talking about here. To a people far off, for the Lord has spoken. Uh, proclaim this among the nations. Prepare for war. Wake up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. So God is now calling out the mighty men. He wants to get them to get their men of war ready for battle. And basically, it's the one that knows that he can destroy them all. He's saying, go ahead, bring up the best you have. Bring up the biggest force and the best force that you can come up. Your mighty men of war. Who is a mighty man of war when it comes to standing up against God? You know, uh, when Shennacherib tried to come in to uh, Jerusalem and Hezekiah was the king and they threatened coming in and we're just going to, you know, burn the place down. You're all going to die. And God told Hezekiah, don't worry about it. I got this. And 185,000 died that night. So what kind of army can stand against God? Obviously none, but God is still calling them out. Beat your plowshares. 
plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. He's saying, take everything you have and put it into military might. Take it all and put it into military might. You see, we don't use um, swords and uh, we don't use shields and stuff like that So, uh, and spears, but we do have military budgets. And so this is God saying, bring the best you have. You got nukes, bring them. You know, whatever you have, go ahead and bring them. Don't put a dollar into farming because you don't need the farms at this point. What you need is weapons. So go ahead and bring it. Assemble. I like, I like what he said there at the end of verse 10. Let the weak say, I am strong. That's kind of like a mocking that is um, just... Go ahead, you weak, say that you're strong. Go ahead and bring the, the, even the, the weakest person you have, let him say he's strong and come on along because you're all pretty much about that level, you know. And so he's kind of mocking them at this point. Assemble and come, all you nations, and gather together all around. Because your mighty ones to go down there and, uh, and, oh, cause your mighty ones to go down there, oh Lord. And this is talking about God's mighty ones that are going to go down there. The ones that are going to be going down there with Jesus. Because Jesus is the, the commander. He's going into battle. Here And so he's saying, hey, cause your mighty ones, let the nations be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there I will sit to judge all of the surrounding nations. And so he is the one that's going to judge all of these nations that are coming together in the valley of, of Megiddo against God. And he says, Go ahead, get them all together. But why is this happening? Why is what is happening right now in the spiritual realm that we're not seeing here in this, in, in God calling them out? And this is in Revelation chapter 12. And everything that we're reading about correlates to what's going on in the very last days uh, of the tribulation period. And so Revelation chapter 12, in verse 3 we read, And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and seven diadems on his heads. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. What are we talking about here? Well, this is Satan. And the third of the stars of heaven were a third of the demons that were cast out of heaven and now being cast onto the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth. This woman is Israel. To devour her child, capital C, as soon as it was born. 
Satan tried to bring Jesus out in the wilderness and tempt him so that he could sin and then he wouldn't have uh, the ability to save the world. <clears throat> she bore a male child who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron and her child was caught up to God and his throne. That's where Jesus is now. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God. The woman that fled into the wilderness, this is when Satan is cast down to the earth. He goes into the temple, the abomination of desolation, setting up the statue. And then two-thirds of the Jews are killed in Jerusalem while one-third escapes. And it says, and her child was caught up to God and, and his throne. And then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared for God that they should feed her there 1,260 days, three and a half years. So this is when Satan comes down, sets up, and this is the middle of the tribulation period, Three and a half more years left uh, before it ends. <clears throat> and a war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail. Nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. And so the great dragon was cast out. That serpent of old called the devil and Satan. Who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth. And his angels were cast out with him. So now we see why God is getting ready for this battle. Because Satan and his angels were cast down to the earth. They're getting all of the earth stirred up. All of the friends of Satan. But all of the enemies of Satan too. You see at this point there were a bunch of countries that were coming, going to come against him. And they were all coming into the valley of Megiddo at the same time. The Euphrates River was dried up and an army of 200 million came across the Euphrates River from the east and came in to the valley of Megiddo then. Who in the world could field an army of 200 million? China. And so... Here's the Chinese coming from the east. You have the Russians and, and all of the what's left of Europe uh, coming in from the north. And then the African nations and the Egypt coming in from the south. All coming into the valley of Megiddo. And they all want to take on the Antichrist because of the pressure that he's putting on everyone. But then as soon as the Lord starts coming down from heaven, they turn to fight him. They all turn to fight him because he is their one enemy, really. And so they're not going to fight each other at that point. So it says, put it in the sickle for the harvest is ripe. Come, go down for the wine press is full. The vats overflow for their wickedness is great. And so we read um, a similar account of what 
Joel is talking about here in Revelation chapter 14. In Revelation 14, 14, we read, Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and on the cloud sat one like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle, just like the sickle that was mentioned here. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And so he who sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. And then another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came from the altar who had the power over fire, and he cried with a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for the grapes are fully ripe. And so the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and threw it into the great wine press of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trampled outside the city, and blood came out of the winepress up to the horses' bridles for 1,600 furlongs. That's the Valley of Armageddon. And that's when the Lord returns and then wipes out all of these armies that are in the Valley of Armageddon. And there'll be enough blood up to the bridle of a horse. And so we see it, Joel mentioning it here, but we also see it in Revelation that it's um, basically the same uh, effect that's happening there. Back in Joel chapter 3, in verse 14, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. And this valley of decision, there is no valley named decision over there, but there is the valley of Armageddon where people have to decide whose side they're on. And the ones that are on the ground made their decision. The ones who are coming in the air, they also made a decision. That's us. The church, we're coming with them in the clouds with the Lord and we're going to be coming to the earth for that day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon will grow dark and the stars will diminish their brightness. The Lord also will roar from Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. The heavens and earth will shake, but the Lord will be a shelter for his people and the strength of the children of Israel. And so you shall know that I am the Lord dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain, then Jerusalem shall be holy, and no aliens shall ever pass through her again. So multitudes of these armies will gather there, and they'll be wiped out there. And then the sun and moon will grow dark. Well, actually, the sun and moon will have grown dark already. And that is told to us in Revelation chapter 8 verse 12 where it says then the fourth angel sounded and a third of the sun was struck a third of the moon and a third of the stars so that a third of them were darkened a third of the day did not shine 
and likewise the night. And so this is going to be an ugly time. It, it's kind of funny how there are scientists that are kind of predicting these things. I don't know if they're reading the Bible and saying, oh, the Bible said these things are going to happen. And, and they predicted it because they know that what the Bible says, or if they're just being scientific and they're actually scientific evidence for the end. <clears throat> well, I believe it's a little of both. I believe that when we look at the conditions of the world, we see what's going on in different places in the world, and we see what's going on in the leadership of the world. I'm not talking about just our leadership, but all over the world, all of these councils that are, have, have you ever imagined that there would be these councils that basically are dictating everything that's going to happen in, in the world? They're, they're dictating how nations will act. And, and so they are a government of themselves. And they really do have enough power to make stuff happen. And generally, the stuff they're making happen isn't good. But that's what we can expect. So when we read about these organizations that are going to be put together, they're all going to come together, and they're all going to fight against the Lord, it doesn't matter how much money they have. It doesn't matter how many how many shares of Apple they hold or anything like that, they're in trouble because they're fighting against the Lord and uh, he's going to take them out. So here we see in Revelation 8, 12 that there are going to be things that happen to the sun. Can you imagine if the sun is darkened like that, how photosynthesis will be badly affected? Meaning the food supply will be badly impacted. Uh, the, the fish in the ocean and the way the ocean functions will be impacted. Tides will be affected. All of this will be taking place at the same time the Antichrist is rising, acting like he is God and trying to solve everything. Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 24, verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall, fall from heaven and the powers of heaven will be shaken. Well, we just read that in Joel and in Revelation. We're seeing that Jesus confirmed that these are the things that will happen. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect. That's us. And we're going to be gathered together from the four winds and one end of heaven
to the other. And notice we're not going to be gathered from one end of earth to the other, but one end of heaven to the other because we're there with him in heaven. And so we're going to be gathered together once the job is done and the judgment against the unbelievers is complete, then Jesus is going to set up his throne. Joel tells us what that's going to look like. <clears throat> and it will come to pass in that day that the mountain shall drip with new wine, the hills shall flow with milk, and all the brooks of Judah shall be flooded with water. A fountain shall flow from the house of the Lord and water the valley of the Acacias. Egypt shall be a desolation and Edom a desolate wilderness because of the violence against the people of Judah, for they have shed innocent blood in their land. But Judah shall abide forever and Jerusalem from generation to generation, for I will acquit them of the guilt of bloodshed, whom I had not acquitted, for the Lord dwells in Zion. And so Ezekiel um, says in Ezekiel 48:35, all the way around shall be 18,000 cubits, the name of the city. And it says, and the name of the city from that day shall be the Lord is there. And so Ezekiel said it there. Joel says, for the Lord dwells in Zion. And that will be the, the place where God dwells. It's confirming that the Lord dwells there. But we need to get a bigger, a better picture of what's actually going on here. The, the um, Israel has been rejected by God because of their rejection of him. And so they have been cut off. And this is going back to the, um, to the parable of the olive tree that had its branches cut off, which was Israel. The Jews were cut off of the olive tree and wild branches were then grafted into the olive tree. Who are the wild branches? Us. We are the wild branches that were grafted into the tree. And people were, the church, were pretty proud of that. See, there's a, there's a whole uh, group out there that believe in what's called replacement theology. Saying that the church has replaced Israel as God's chosen people. That's false. That's a false teaching. There's nothing true about it. All you have to do to know that it's false is read the Bible. Because God restores his nation. He restores his people. You will say then in, uh, in Revelation chapter, um, excuse me, Romans chapter 11, verse 19, you will say them branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Woohoo! Well said. Because of unbelief they were broken off. These were the Jews. And you stand by faith. 
because we believe in Jesus Christ, we were grafted in. Do not be haughty, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Well, we don't like to hear that. We like to hear, hey, we're in there and there's no way that we're going to be removed. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fell severity, but toward you goodness, if you continue in his goodness. Otherwise, you, will be, you also will be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut off, cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these who are natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? And, and so here's the problem with Christianity today. Christianity has made themselves better than the Jews. And we are God's special people. We're chosen to replace them because we're better than them. Now I know that's maybe not your Christianity, but it's a lot of Christianity that's out there. There are a lot of denominations that put themselves above the people of the world. They believe that uh, there are people that just don't even deserve to be offered salvation. They don't even deserve it. There's e they're evil people. But everything I read about in the Bible tells me that salvation is offered to everyone. That there is no one disqualified from salvation except those who have committed the unpardonable sin. And that isn't really spelled out very clearly what the unpardonable sin is. But we, as Christians, like to tell people what we think it is. Oh, you've done that? Sorry, you're probably not going to make it to heaven if you did that. You know, oh, obviously you aren't saved if you did that. You know, and we um, tend to stack things and say, okay, well, you've reached this point. You aren't qualified. You don't deserve salvation. I believe that the unpardonable sin is not receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior before you die then you can't be forgiven. Once you're dead, you don't get to come back and have a do-over. You don't go to purgatory. Please, someone, open your Bible and tell me where you see anything about purgatory in the Bible. There's nothing. It's a man-made thing so that people can feel good about themselves when they leave this earth. But there's nothing in the Bible that tells us that we're going to be able to work off our sin after we leave here. Our sin, the day we receive Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior, 
is cast into the lake of forgetfulness as far as east is from west. And it's never dredged up again. And how do we know that all of our sin made it there? You know, do you ever feel that way? You know, well, there's that one sin. Or there's the sin that I'm going to sin in 10 minutes. And, um, you know, uh, and was that sin covered? Here's the thing. Um, All of our sin is covered if we truly believe and we truly repent. All of our sin is covered. But that doesn't mean that we're not going to be impacted by sin. That doesn't mean that if we are living in sin, that it's not going to affect our lives. It will. Because God doesn't wink at sin. He's not okay with sin. So if we're doing something sinful in our lives and we continue to do it and we don't stop doing it, then we have to question ourselves. Is it because we're not allowing God to have that area of our lives? Is it because we like the sin more than we like God? So we, we have to judge ourselves. You know, a lot of people like to say that, judge not, you're not supposed to judge. You know, No, judge not lest you be judged because the same judgment that you use against someone else is going to be used against you. You don't want that used against you the way you're judging them. But we're told to judge ourselves because if we judged ourselves, then we wouldn't go through some of the things that we go through. If we judge ourselves and said, you know what, I'm, I'm breaking the law. You know, when I look down and say, I'm only doing 75. Yes, but it's a 45 that you're doing 75 in, you know. And and so if I judge myself being, "Eh, I'm not so bad. That guy just passed me. He must be going faster. You know, we can, we judge ourselves using the wrong standard. The standard is Jesus Christ. And so we will fail every time. But that's why... We're supposed to confess our sins to one another and to him. And then when we confess our sin to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's not that we need to get saved again, but it's that we need to be restored back into fellowship with the Lord. Because there are times where the Lord just can't be hanging out with us because... We're just living in sin. We're doing sinful things. How do you think the Holy Spirit feels when you're doing sinful things? You're the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? So, you know, when you're doing sinful things, you're bringing God into sin. That can't be. Can't happen, can it? So, we need to be careful about that. So, as we read what um, Paul was writing about here, about the Gentiles now having access to God through the olive tree that was made for the Jews. And so all Israel, and now um, back in verse 25, for I do not desire, brother, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. He wanted you to know, look, they were cut out, you're grafted in, lest you should be wise in your own opinion 
That blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. That's God speaking through Paul. And then he quotes, and I believe this is uh, a quote 26 that from Isaiah, the deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob for, Jacob, for this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. And so he is going to take away the sins of, he's going to forgive them their sins. And that's what he says here in Joel, for I will acquit them of the guilt of bloodshed whom I had not acquitted for the Lord dwells in Zion. So now he's going to acquit them. He's going to forgive them. And he's going to bring them back in. So as we read this, as we understand what um, is being said by Joel, by God, essentially through Joel, we're looking at a glimpse of the last moments of history as Jesus returns and then establishes his kingdom on earth for a thousand years. This is the millennial period. There are many people that are still mixed up on what that is. Some believe we're living in the millennium right now. I don't know where God's hanging out then because it says when we're living in the millennium that his throne will be in Jerusalem, that he will set up his camp there. And so I don't see that. So I know that this is something in the future and that it's still going to happen. And now we have the good news. We know it's going to happen. We have all the details of how it's going to happen. Joel says that there's coming the day of the Lord. And that day is not just a one-day period. It will start with the abomination of desolation, actually start before then even, and then as God's judgment is poured out on the earth, that's what the day of the Lord is. That's where the, the Lord gets to judge. The Lord gets to set things straight. His wrath is poured out. And then on that judgment, that decision in the valley that's going to take place. And then there will be ultimately be a great white throne judgment. But the day of the Lord then will enter into a thousand year period of peace where God dwells and where we are told that there's not going to be anyone coming in to Jerusalem that doesn't belong there, that isn't a child of God. And so we get to go. We get to go see what the new city will look like. I, Jerusalem's just awesome just going there right now the way it is. But um, going there to see what it'll look like when it's all redone by God, that's going to be awesome. Can't wait to see it. So there we have the book of Joel. We have the judgments on Israel. And then we have the judgments of the Gentiles. And then we have the restoration of Israel. And it's 
written at a time where none of this was fulfilled, but it was all pointing to the fulfillment at the end of the world until the Lord comes back and establishes his throne. So obviously that hasn't happened yet, but we're looking forward to that day. In the meantime, there'll be a day that comes before that, the day where he takes us home. He's going to come in the rapture of the church, take us home. We're going to be with him up until the day where we're riding horses back down with him to this event that we just read about. We get to see it from the other point of view. And so we're looking forward to that too. We need to be ready. And there are many people out there that don't know Jesus. So we can share the good news with them. We don't share this with them. This will freak them out. But we share the good news of Jesus Christ. He came and died for our sins so that we can be with him forever. See, that's the good news. That's the gospel. And so be prepared to share that whenever you have a chance. Amen. Amen. 